This podcast is sponsored by Traction Capital Partners, a private investment firm based out of Tacoma, Washington. Traction Capital focuses on acquiring businesses based in the Pacific Northwest that have between $1 and $5 million in earnings. For more information, please visit TractionCP.com. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Alex Bridgman, and this is Think Like an Owner. This show seeks out conversations with business owners and private investors to learn how to acquire and run companies with a special focus on micro-private equity and permanent capital. You can learn more at thinklikeowners.com. My guest on this episode is Sam Rosati, who, along with his brother Joey, ran a search fund called Pursuant Capital in the Tampa area and has acquired a waste management broker called Alpha Dumpsters. There are a couple pieces about Sam and Joey's story that are unique. For one, it's one of very few search funds I've seen run by two searchers instead of one, and two, they are continuing to look for further acquisitions. In the episode, we chat about Sam's experience searching for companies before and after acquiring Alpha Dumpsters, how he and his brother split roles, lessons learned, and what they want to do next with Pursuant. If you're looking to run a search fund, you're going to like this episode. Enjoy. I've had the chance to talk to searchers, but not too many who had gone through the entire process and actually acquired the company and were now shifting their role to operating or looking for the next thing. So can you talk a little bit about why you decided to go through the search process and how it's generally gone for you? Well, kind of going back to where I was three or four years ago, at the time I was an M&A lawyer sitting in a fancy office tower in downtown Tampa and My brother was actually running a business uh, about a half hour away, kind of a prototypical search fund deal, you know, 15 million of revenue and a couple million dollars of cash flow. And, you know, we both would laugh how our skill set was so synergistic, but we had never thought or, you know, found a way to work together. And, um, you know, at the time I was desperate to get out of there and to do something entrepreneurial, right? I think many people in their 30s, late 20s, 30s, even 40s started thinking, all right, what can I do that would be for my own account and entrepreneurial and have some upside and be an adventure? And uh, just purely out of dumb luck, I stumbled on this search fund concept and um, I spent probably six months thinking, gosh, this is this crazy perfect fit for somebody like me with deal experience and you know I actually went to one of the searcher conferences trying to make this decision and um, left there thinking you know gosh I have no idea how to run a business absolutely no idea and it just so happened my brother was trying to leave his job at the time because the owner wasn't um, quite in a position to sort of share the pie or sell the equity to him. And so we just said, you know what, this is a perfect time. And it's kind of special to work with your brother. It's hard, it's not perfect, it's never, never perfect, just like family never is, but it is. it was the best thing, knowing that we'd have ultimate trust in this crazy search adventure. So yeah, that was almost two years ago. Uh, and here we are, we went through about a year and a half of this wild journey that is search. Every searcher out there thinks that search is sort of the project or the adventure. And that once you get to running a business, the, the journey is over. (laughs) That is definitely not the case, especially after the last three or so months since we've owned a business, but it's been a absolutely fulfilling journey. And it was about two years ago now that we sat down and said, all right, we're going to do this and we're going to launch it on January 1. So almost two years ago. And so we pretty much put together all the resources, right? You know, the website, the business cards. I would say one of the underrated things to do is putting together your website as a searcher. It really is like the thought experiment that gets you thinking about your pitch, what you're trying to sell, your competitive advantage, yada, yada, yada. So that was a great sort of, you know, December 2017 thing for us to do. So then we hit go on January 1st of 18 and we pretty much spanned, if you want to call it, our entire network. We used this as a chance to tell everybody we knew what we were doing. And um, maybe to back up a little bit, 
you know, we ran a very geographically focused self-funded search, which is a sort of animal on its own. It's very different than a national funded search. And we can talk about that too. But so for us reaching out locally to, you know, the deal community, that was my job, you know, lawyers, bankers, brokers, insurance folks, you name it. That was, that was my job. So I spent probably six months really working that network hard. And my brother did the opposite. He worked sort of bringing on an intern group, building a database of businesses and our criteria scope. And, and he sort of led the process of going direct to companies. And I'd say six months later, we had probably spoken to a thousand deal professionals and a thousand companies. And we actually started to figure out what it is we knew, what we liked, what we didn't like. We knew how to sort of tackle an analysis quick, put together a model, read a sim. It It's a lot of work and you sort of climb that learning curve very quickly. It's a grind. But six months in, we finally felt like we knew what it is we wanted. Long story short, it took us another year to close a deal. But, you know, that's, that's search. You never know what you're going to find. So what kind of opportunities did you see and pass on or some that were interesting? And then tell us about the company that you eventually found and how you found it. Yeah, so we saw just tons of tons of businesses, which is great. I think you have to go through a lot of reps to learn what you like, learn what you don't and why get quicker at that. It's a process. I think every searcher feels the same way. It just takes you a little bit of time to get up to speed. We saw everything from, gosh, courier companies to um, food brokers to manufacturers of those uh, green interstate signs you see on the interstate. We've seen everything. Um, Naturally, we're in Tampa, Florida, right? And we focused within two hours of our airport here. So it was, you know, these are Florida-based businesses. So a lot of DOT businesses, a lot of um, hospitality, a lot of construction. And we were fairly industry agnostic. And again, we can talk about what makes a geographic search a little different, a little tougher potentially. But yeah, we saw absolutely everything. We built a fantastic database. I think one thing that gets underrated is the broker community. It it's a really good community. You can see a lot of great deals, especially if you build relationships with brokers. So our ultimate deal came from a broker. And um, so I, I try and urge searchers don't ignore the broker community. But yeah, so what we ended up with was, and, and this is the business that we bought, you know, sort of as searchers to operate. It, it's a roll-off dumpster company. So Again, we were searching for old school businesses within a couple hours of Tampa and somewhere between a half a million and a couple million of annual cash flow. And that's exactly what we found was a roll off dumpster broker. So everybody thinks of these big dumpsters that roll off a back of dumpster trucks. Um, We don't own a can. We don't own a truck. We're just a broker. So really we're a lead generation business. So we do a lot of internet marketing. We have a big brand name on the internet and we take calls. We sign up customers who need roll off dumpsters in their yard, whether it's for a home clean out or a kitchen renovation or, you know, you name it. And then we actually turn around and we call our hauler partners in that location. They're the companies with the trucks and the dumpsters and they go deliver it and they pick it up. So we are just the intermediary. So super asset light, you know, low staff. It's a relatively simple business, but it's old school. So we loved it. That's what we ended up buying. Can you talk a little bit about how you developed relationships with brokers in Tampa? How did you go about that process? Yeah, it helped a lot that I was an M&A lawyer before we started because I had a little bit of experience there. You know, I was sort of used to working with investment bankers and business brokers, you know, having been a CPA in a prior life, I'd, you know, had a network in that space. My father's a sort of boutique investment banker. So this world was familiar to me, which helped, you know, what wasn't so familiar was we had to go build a reputation with brokers as legitimate buyers. And that's hard because as a searcher, you kind of want to get to be known as a 
private equity type buyer. But then when they ask you, well, hey, like what's your source of funds? That's a tough question. And so you really have to get your pitch down straight. So, you know, we really honed our pitch as legacy buyers to family business owners. And, you know, we had an investor group behind us that was willing to vouch for us in those cases. And we had lenders who were willing to vouch for us. And so we could go to brokers and and we had a thousand coffees and lunches and dinners and cocktail networking events. And at all of those, you know, your job is just to build a relationship and to sort of tell your story that you're a legitimate buyer. You decided to focus on a specific region, that being Tampa. Um, what were some of the thought processes you went through in determining whether you wanted to, you know, stay in, in focus in the Tampa area versus a nationwide search? And what were kind of your pros and cons as you thought through that? Yeah, yeah. You know, so when my brother and I sat down and said, you know, this is what we want to do. Let's design it for us in our life. You know, we just said, what are the big things that matter to us? And this is sort of not related to business. What matters to our life? Searchers, you know, I I hear this all the time when we talk to them. Uh, You know, it's sort of business first, life second. And for us, it was sort of life first. And let's make sure business can work around that. So first and foremost, this is home for us. Our family's here. My wife is here. My brother's significant other is here. All of our family's here. Second, our careers have been here. So we had this huge personal network in our area. And we thought, you know, based on the criteria that was acceptable to us, we were fine going after smaller businesses than most traditional search funds. We kind of did the research and knew there were plenty of opportunities in Florida. A big one for us is Florida is sort of population inflow, net net, as opposed to a lot of northern states that are losing people over time. So Tampa's flourishing, Florida's flourishing. We have our family, we have our network here. A big thing too, I'll admit, is we wanted to self-fund this because you know, we're okay having a bunch of skin in the game, having a lot on the line while doing this. And self-funding our search is really affordable if you do it locally. Now, if we did this nationally and I had to fly out to Portland to see you, it'd be impossible. I'd burn through a hundred grand of cash in a heartbeat. But self-funding on a local basis, totally feasible if you do it the right way. So being self-funded, you had to obviously pay your way through the whole process. What sort of things did you do to you know, control costs and you know, beyond just regional focus? Were there certain things that you had or certain processes? What did you do to help keep your budget in line? So first and foremost, we didn't pay ourselves. So this was an investment in ourselves. Fortunately, my brother and I have had moderately successful careers before this. So we had a balance sheet that was able to support us. We have spouses that are willing to support us. That made all the difference in the world. I think, you know, getting to your question, which is how do you keep your budget low? You do the little things. You know, we had, we owned this little office building uh, in the heart of Tampa. That was a investment that we made a while back. And so we didn't have to spend money on rent. You know, we had interns that were working for us on an unpaid basis. And, you know, we offered them a lot in return as far as career feedback and resume advice and really good quality experience. But, you know, we didn't necessarily have to go out of pocket for that. We, you know, rather than having to fly somewhere to meet a a business owner, we could just say, hey, we'll meet you at the Starbucks near the airport. And we did that a thousand times. And that was absolutely acceptable. So, you know, when you run a search, there's just not a lot of expenses that go into it. I would say the one that hurts a lot of searchers is deal costs. CPAs, lawyers, you know, folks like that. And we, through our network, had great relationships with service providers who were willing to work with us on a fully contingent basis. So they had a ton of deal risk involved in our deals, which was great. It meant that we didn't have to call our lawyer and worry about him, you know, sending us a bill if the deal died. And same goes with our CPA. They were willing to wait till we ultimately closed to get paid. And that was a huge help. 
Did you, in exchange, have to pay them higher rates if the deal closed? Or was there some other incentive you had to... Because it, it's kind of neat because it aligns their incentives with yours to help close the deal as well. Like, What other things did you do to help incentivize them? Yeah, I mean, I think part of this is they were just invested in our story and what we were trying to build. Um, I'd say we definitely you know, paid a premium to sort of base price. And that was the sort of trade-off that came with that arrangement. And we were okay with that. It's, it was, I think it worked out perfectly in the end. Um, you know, I think another thing too is, is a lot of service providers look at searchers who are young in their late 20s or 30s. And they think, you know, okay, so two young brothers trying to go buy a business. They might own it for, you know, who knows, five, six, 10, 15 years but they're probably going to buy other businesses. They're going to know other business buyers. And so it's just, um, it was a, a friendly way for them to do some good business development long-term. You find the company that you want to buy. Now you're working with the broker. How does that process go from that point onward? First point of touch is usually pretty cold. You know, maybe you're at a networking event or it's a phone call or it's an email. You know, there have been other private equity buyers and searchers who've given us advice about this, some that you know, many of that you know, who've been nice enough to share tips. This is a long-term play in relationships. So when you talk to a broker for the first time, you're trying to build a relationship on day one so that on day 365, when they come across a deal that's a perfect fit for you, they call you and nobody else. And that's a big ask. So, you know, we stayed in great touch. You know, we had a big outbound email handwritten letter campaign to companies and brokers and, and our whole network, all with the intent on building a relationship and proving that we were legitimate buyers. But every, every day, every week, every month, we were on the phone with these folks trying to see what was in their sort of pocket listings, which is sort of the the deals that they don't necessarily widely auction that they know are a good fit for certain people. And that's sort of the holy grail on the broker side is to get those special deals that are the right size, the right industry. They know there's going to be a lot of demand, but they also know who the right buyers are. So it was lots of time on the phone, lots of, you know, with folks that we knew had great deal flow, we'd take them to dinner. You know, we'd, buy them Christmas gifts. You know, those things are important. So it's worth the investment. And so how did you begin to, from there, talk with the owner and go through due diligence and LOI? What was, what was that like for you? Yeah, it's, it's a whirlwind. So this is why, you know, you can read all the search materials you want, but I don't think you can get good at search until you've done it for, you know, three, five, six months, because you know, you spend a few months building this massive outbound campaign of calls and emails and letters, and then things start coming in and you're balancing your daily outreach with signing NDAs and reading teasers and reading Sims and building financial models. And, you know, I talked to one of my good searcher friends just the other day and he's like a month in and already overwhelmed with the amount of work. So it's just about balancing it all. But when it comes to, you know, our specific search, what was great is no matter who it was, a broker, a banker, a lawyer, or a seller, I could say to them, hey, do you want to go grab a coffee tomorrow? I'll meet you at, you know, the coffee shop down the street. So no matter what, because we were always just a a couple hour drive away, I could definitely go sit down in person. And that made a huge difference. So unlike a lot of national searchers who are jumping on planes and doing this on the phone, we did everything in person. And so lots of in-person coffees and dinners and drinks and you name it. That ultimately led to, you know, what we had is a pipeline of deals and we'd shuffle deals from the top of the pipeline kind of down and through everything you read in um, that HBS guide to search. It's true. It's a numbers game. So it was a lot of NDAs and, and tons of teasers, even, you know, more, we probably made 10 times more offers than we ever expected because we found it was, it's a numbers game, number one. And number two, 
you know, by making an offer, you can test a lot of things about a seller, you know, their interest level in you, their price expectations, you know, whether you can get some good structure that's favorable to buyers. So we made a lot of offers and, and it was all just about funneling down the pipeline. How did you end up structuring the deal? So the business is called Alpha Dumpsters. We came across Alpha through a broker. There are tons of websites all across the internet where you can you know, see these deals on a confidential basis. And we saw this one. It looked really interesting to us. Uh, so I gave the broker a call. We started a conversation. He's, he was out of state, even though the deal was local to us, which is really funny. So I actually was able to learn about the business over a week or so through the broker. We sort of put together a model and, you know, read the materials and, and quickly realized this was good enough. So we met the owner. We went to Cracker Barrel down the street. We met the owner and his wife. My brother and I sat there and sort of gave our pitch as buyers and what we would do for their business legacy. And Stu and Sherry, the, the sellers were great. They were really welcoming. They opened up all their information to us and really didn't hold anything back. So it, it progressed really quickly. So we um, you know, made an offer uh, in the form of a letter of intent and you know, we negotiated fairly quickly. And ultimately, you know, I'll kind of pull back specifics, but it was a really friendly structure to somebody like um, my brother and me who are self-funded buyers with some investor backing. The seller was willing to take a fair amount of his purchase price uh, in the form of, um, you know, a, a seller note that gets paid out over time. And there was a bit of a contingent payment in the form of an earnout. So that the seller, you know, Stu really has a lot of interest in our success. Much of the purchase price we went and raised from a group of investors that had supported us for the year and a half journey that we had been through. And then we found a bank loan as well from a local community bank that knew us really well and gave us very favorable terms and put the deal together and it's a fantastic structure. Are you willing to share um, the multiple you paid for them or is that something you want to keep confidential too? Yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll get into that. So first of all, you know, prices are high right now. That's table stakes. So the great thing of going after small businesses, you know, our business has less than a million dollars of owner earnings. So it's small is the multiples are smaller. So our, our multiple is, you know, less than three times cash at close. It's less than four times all in. So it's a relatively fair value. We think, you know, if you go up to, you know, two, $3 million of EBITDA, you usually don't hear those numbers anymore. So we were happy with that. Did you ever run into other searchers who had overlapped in their search territory with you and you were kind of both working on similar deals or are you wherever competing? Like, did you, how many other buyers did you run into? Yeah, you know, it's a competitive market for sure. Especially the, you know, the private equity community has come down market. You know, I was shocked how often we'd be competing against funded private equity sponsors, which is you know, super intimidating for people like us who are self-funded searchers. But no, you know, we never once competed against a searcher. N only once did we ever hear of a searcher who was a part of a process, but they were sort of earlier and had bowed out. So no, I mean, the search community, you know, entrepreneurship through acquisition is wide open still. And I know you've had other guests say the same thing. You read about this. And this this market for small family owned businesses is still absolutely wide open, especially if you're willing to stay small. We talked to a lot of searchers who are trying to figure out how they're going to run their search. You know, I think a lot of people are attracted to the funded model and it's fantastic. I, I think we ideally would have done a funded search. It just didn't match what we wanted to achieve in our life. But I tell you what. I definitely would not want to be going to the market right now buying a $3 million SaaS business because those are crazy expensive 
And there are just a ton of buyers for those businesses right now. So, you know, I think if you are a national or potential national funded searcher looking for a software as a service business that's, you know, big enough where institutional buyers are going to want to go after those as well, that's a extremely competitive space. And I am so glad that I'm not fishing there. Um, you know, at the same time, there's huge trade-offs, right? We ended up with a business that's smaller. You know, there are definitely downsides to that. We have to get our hands way dirtier than, you know, a bigger business. You know, we laugh like, you know, people on the outside might call us the sort of co-CEOs. We're not. <laughs> We're there as general managers running the business day to day. It's as hard a work as you could imagine. But, you know, it's it's great. We love it. Yeah. What have been the first few months of ownership been like for you? Yeah, they've been a whirlwind. So, you know, you as a searcher, you think for your entire search about the day you're going to close as the finish line. And it's not. It's just the starting line. So it's been, um, you know, trial by fire, you know, getting to know our staff, really learning the ins and outs of the business. You know, my brother and I are sort of sticklers for people who try and stay out of the weeds. Um, to start, we got into the weeds, right? We got into everything from sort of pricing and getting to know every single one of our big customers, our haulers. We got into the weeds. So now, you know, three, four months later, the sellers have transitioned out and it's our business. We actually feel like we know what's going on. It doesn't make it any easier, but we actually feel like we know what we're doing and we're slightly dangerous, but um, it's been fantastic. And for once, you know, now we see what it's like to be owners of a small business all on our own. And it's extremely fulfilling. Is there anything about owning a business that you didn't expect or maybe under expected perhaps? Every day is filled with fire drills and you know, I, as a lawyer, I used to be able to stay out of the sort of fires and, you know, stay above that. And now it's, you know, that's our job, right? So every day sort of somebody in the business is having a personal issue or one of our customers is calling, you know, angry about something and we're having some sort of service problem with one of our haulers and, you know, this is the, all the while, you know, my brother and I are trying to, you know, pave a new path strategically for the business to grow it, to do all the things that are going to make this, you know, adventure successful. And yet we're stuck in the weeds. And so it's a, a great classic lesson of balancing priorities every day, but it's been fun. And I think starting hopefully in the new year, we'll be able to back out a little bit hopefully put some folks in place to, you know, put out the fires so that we can start growing this business because that's what it's all about. What are your plans for, you know, with the new year coming, you're thinking about adding somebody, what's kind of next for, you know, 2020 and beyond with owning this business? Are you looking to potentially find another one to buy? What's kind of, what's in your immediate horizon for the next, you know, few years here? Yeah. So I'd say with Alpha Dumpsters specifically, you know, our business, 2020 is the start of what is hopefully a long runway of growth. So we've put together a sort of third party internet marketing company that's doing all of our internet marketing, redesigning websites, um, strategically redesigning our AdWords campaigns on Google. They are handling everything soup to nuts when it comes to our sort of internet marketing. So that's fantastic. They're super helpful. They need our feedback, but they run pretty independently. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of time developing relationships with our haulers, the companies with the trucks and the dumpsters, because they do the actual work. So I think hopefully by the new year, all the pieces are in place. And now we can kind of hit go on the investment to grow, which takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of people and resources, but we're there. So 2020 is the start to hopefully many years of just fantastic growth in alpha. Um, you know, when it you know, pursuing capital, our search fund, uh, you know, it's actually been a really interesting year. Um, we've gotten no search and the process and the ins and the outs and the pros and the cons so much 
that, um, you know, we're going to actually, you know, keep that open and we're going to keep sourcing deals. We've done that all along. So we're going to source deals that would be strategic to alpha dumpsters and would make for a really cool roll up in that space. And we're always open to that, but we're also open to any kind of deal that we were in the past, sort of half a million to 2 million of owner earnings, a couple hours from Tampa. That's not sort of pure construction or hospitality. You know, that's our spiel, right? And, um, you know, 2019 was interesting too, because we had, um, right around the time we were doing our alpha dumpsters deal, we had a friend of ours in Tampa Bay approach us and say, hey, I love what you're doing. I wanna do that. I just have this one big problem. I can't quit my job and do that like you are. Can you help me? And uh, long story short, we let him in to see our pipeline. He picked a deal. You know, My brother and I went on his behalf and negotiated uh, a structure, a price, terms with the owner. And we actually helped him close a deal. So he was able to quit his job on a Friday. We closed on a Friday afternoon. And on Monday morning, he was the president and CEO of his business. And, you know, through that process, you know, we had so many experiences to bear on his behalf. Um, We sit on his board. We are an investor. We're very passive, but we're an investor in his business. And we want to do more of that because we think it's really fun. Is there something you're looking to eventually build with Pursuant or um, are you just looking at it deal by deal and year by year and you'll kind of see what over time with experience what you want to focus on doing? Yeah, you know, I think we're definitely going to focus first and foremost on alpha dumpsters. I mean, that's our business. There really is no sort of other priority but that. But I'll tell you, there's two of us. And this is the great part about being a partnership with your brother with diverse skill sets. You know, he is a core operator and I'm a core finance and deal guy. And so we can really do a good job sort of giving and taking and um, dividing and conquering. So, you know, while we get alpha on a great trajectory, we're going back to market and we're still developing our deal flow. We're talking right now with other searchers, quasi searchers who wanna buy businesses trying to help them do that because it doesn't take a ton of time. I think we have a lot of experience there. We love it. We love this search community. It's a fantastic group of people. It's fun to see, you know, people in their twenties and thirties and forties, you know, get off that straight and narrow track. They always thought they would be on and just dive into this ETA world. And so it's been fantastic. We loved helping you know, our friend buy his business and, you know, kind of see passively how he's running that. We want to do more of that. So we're going to keep our deal flow alive. We're going to keep supporting other searchers, hopefully, you know, backing a few of them. You know, it's funny too, and I'll put a little plug in for us here is there's just no competition in Tampa, in Florida, generally. You know, it seems like all the searchers are up north or on the East Coast or West Coast or Texas. There's nothing down here in Florida as far as competition goes. And I probably shouldn't say that, but, you know, to the extent there are searchers out there that want to come see a wide open market, this is it. And we'd love to sort of support those people. And kind of doubling back to having your brother run the business and you have more of the finance and deal role, was that a arrangement that you knew going in would be kind of what it would look like since, I mean, there's not many searchers or search funds with two partners. So I was just kind of curious from that end, how do you manage having your brother? How do you go through decision making with him? Yeah. You know, I think first and foremost, it's all trust. So, you know, I've known him a fair bit of time. He's known me for a little while. So we just know how we work. So, you know, I, from the outside, I'm sure people wonder how we make that work. It's, you know, people say it's impossible to work with your family. I don't know. We, we challenge that because we say, Hey, yeah, we definitely have our disagreements, but at the end of the day, we're on the same team and we know each other better than any other partners out there. The second thing is like we are very, very different in our skill sets. So he is a fundamentally an operator and an entrepreneur. I mean, he would probably make for a better solo searcher than I would 
because all I know how to do is, is source and structure and close a deal. I've never run a business in my life, but, um, you know, he's never run a back office. He's never really put together financial statements. He's never sort of executed and closed a deal. And, you know, there's a whole other part to running a business besides, you know, either the operations and the front office and then the back office. So we have a very natural divide and conquer approach there between sort of I handle at Alpha Dumpsters, I handle sort of the legal, accounting, finance, HR, investor relations. Obviously, networking is for both of us. And he's sort of core operations, sales, you know, marketing, the front end of it. And it's a really easy divide and conquer. So we've been really fortunate. Yeah, we've had a lot of conversation about it. Yeah, we always are sort of making sure that we step back. And, you know, there's a a great book out there called The Partnership Charter. You know, we read that book. We kind of try and follow that, even though it's not quite as clean as it sounds. And it really just kind of keeps us honest and make sure that we're always on the same page. I could spend all day long in a spreadsheet, making sure that our accounting is clean, you know, making sure that we've paid our invoices on time, that we're collecting from our customers on time. You know, that to me isn't even work. You know, it, it all makes sense in my head and, and I enjoy it. It doesn't, you know, feel like a job. On the same, at the same time, you know, having to interact with, all of our employees and spend time on phones, taking orders and yada, yada. To me, that's out, it's out of my wheelhouse. It just so happens that that's right inside my brother's wheelhouse. So, you know, I think from day one, we kind of always knew that we would divide our operating roles. He and I would spend a lot of time dividing and conquering. Now, of course, we talk every day and We regularly have conversations about the high level sort of strategic focus and where we're going and issues and, you know, big fires we have to put out and goals and, and that's easy, you know, but the day to day grind of operating, we very much divide and conquer and it works fantastically. Since you've acquired a company, have you found that that has given you some legitimacy when you go and continue those conversations with brokers or talk to business owners? There's some level of, okay, this guy's actually done it before. We can trust him more with more deals or more interesting stuff. Or I know that he's more of a, he's my go-to guy now that he's actually done it. Like, have you had some of that um, in your conversations? Yeah. God, it's night and day different, to be honest. For a year there, it felt like we had to beg and claw for, you know, even the dirtiest deal flow out there. And, and now, you know, we can half the times we don't even have to say it. So we've closed two deals. You know, one is our business that we run and own with our partners. And, you know, the other, we essentially supported another searcher in doing it sort of from day one to close and beyond. So after doing two deals in 2019, it's just incredible how much the whole community takes us more seriously. It's funny how that's the case. I think sometimes, you know, the community just wants to make sure that you can actually close on a business and actually do what you're saying you can do. But until you do it, nobody really takes you seriously. And the great thing is, you know, these aren't the two biggest businesses in the world. Neither of them are, you know, what most searchers would consider a reasonable size. But that doesn't even matter. The fact that we sort of run and own two businesses now, we've executed, we've proven the model. It's uh, it's fantastic how much more seriously we get taken in the market. Do you have a few examples of some interactions you've had that kind of reflect that or are good examples of it? Yeah. I mean, I would say in the broker community, it's made a big difference. For better, for worse, a lot of brokers, investment bankers, M&A advisors, you know, their interest is squarely, um, you know, pointed towards closing a deal. You know, that's when they get compensated. That's their job point blank. And if they're not sure you can get to that table, you know, in our experience, a lot of times you just don't get taken seriously. And I understand, but you know, now we get so much inbound call volume from brokers because, you know, maybe they saw a press release or, Maybe they read about it in our local paper. They saw something and all of a sudden they realized, you know, shoot, you know, we we joke about this. We used to get called the boys a lot 
And, uh, you know, that gave us a big chip on our shoulder for a while because a lot of brokers would kind of act like we were kids trying to do, you know, adult things. And then all of a sudden we kind of pulled it off and, uh, overnight, you know, the broker community, not all, there are many that are great to us no matter what, but sort of, there are some particular brokers who really just didn't think we could get it done. And now that they, now that we have, they absolutely give us more calls, give us more leads, take us more seriously. And it's been great. Through your process and through your continuing process, have you kind of narrowed down what businesses you find the most interesting? Um, yeah, you know, everything's just depends on the deal. I think that's one thing we thought from the start was that it was cleaner than it is. Every deal stand on its own. Um, for us, you know, valuation dictates a lot about how much we like a business. Um, you know, I think we have a new appreciation for some things like recurring revenue, um, non-cyclicality, a lot of the core sort of tests, characteristics that, you know, searchers chase. We have a new appreciation for that. Um, but we like old school stuff. So we're down here in Florida. You know, there's not a ton of tech. Um, there's not a lot of glamorous software businesses, but there's a lot of old economy distribution. There's a lot of old economy manufacturing, and there's a ton of old economy business services. And we love those things because they're not going anywhere. You know, it'll be 2050 and these things will still be around. And we're just hoping over the next 30 years to own a few of them and build them and grow them and sell them and do it again. It's pretty interesting that the Tampa doesn't have that same, I would have thought with, you know, Florida, nice weather, there'd be some more of those software, you know, techie type businesses. It's interesting that there isn't though. I think they're trying, right? They're trying to build these cool communities and towns all across the country, but yeah, I think it's just underdeveloped here. And I don't know if you've ever been here in August, the weather ain't that great. So, um, no, but all just jokes aside, it's just not highly populated yet with, you know, aggressive ETA professionals. So it's fantastic. So in continuing your pipeline of deals, you mentioned that tuck-ins or roll-ups were something you were looking at. How do you think about adding companies to Alpha Dumpster and kind of rolling them in? How do you think about that process compared to buying companies that would stand on their own? When you're a strategic buyer, you're a buyer that already has a, a business in a space, you know, you can kind of do things differently. And for, you know, a year and a half there, we were the opposite of a strategic buyer. This was, we had nothing. We were starting from scratch. And so every deal we looked at had to stand on its own. And so we had to be a little bit choosier about what we saw and how we bid on a deal. Well, now it's when you're a strategic buyer, you know, you can think to yourself, you know, if you were to close on this business, you could, you know, save costs because there's redundancies and, you know, you could hit a new customer base because you now have different service offerings. You can just think about a deal totally differently. And it's awesome <laughs> to be on the other yeah. side. I'd say that, you know, we're looking at alpha dumpsters, you know, in a, a couple different ways. We've thought, you know, potentially about buying one of our hauler partners so that we can control, you know, essentially our supply chain from customer all the way through. We don't have to rely on anybody else. So that's that's interesting to us. Um, you know, we've thought about kind of buying other players in the space that are in other geographies because, you know, in our market or in our business line, you know, I can um, kind of operate as easily from here and service a customer in California as I can service one down the street. But sometimes brokers around the country just have built up networks in their local areas that would be really um, easy to tuck into our business. So we're looking at all sorts of things. How do you approach those opportunities differently? So does an owner or business broker react differently to a strategic buyer versus a search fund? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we talked to a business broker um, last week about uh, a business that's relates to alpha dumpsters. Having a business in that space makes you so much more legitimate. From the beginning, the conversation's different. As a searcher, when you have a conversation with an owner or a broker for the first time, I mean, you are the idiot in the room, <laughs> without a doubt. You know, I can imagine now looking back how 
simple and kind of stupid we looked showing up trying to figure out what this you know roll off dumpster broker space was all about but now we can kind of cut right to the chase which is you know we can speak the lingo we can talk numbers and market size and service offerings we can dive right in and it's just a totally different conversation so now i kind of understand a little bit better about you know why being a strategic buyer is so much more helpful and you know, thank God we're there. Were there times in the beginning where you did something that felt really dumb where you were like, oh man, I, I should have said that better or done that differently? And do you have a few stories like that, that going back, if you could do it again, you would a little bit differently? Yeah. I mean, I got a great one. We, um, after we bought Alpha Dumpsters, we actually, the seller was nice enough to take us out to dinner with one of our biggest hauler partners. And it's, um, if, you, if you're located in the Southeastern US, it's a, it's a waste company that you've definitely heard of. And uh, our seller was nice enough to take us to that dinner with um, the owner's son, who will eventually take over that business, and his uh, right-hand man. And I remember sitting there a week in as owner of Alpha Dumpsters, having a conversation with these sort of lifelong waste management guys thinking, holy cow, I can't even begin to talk the same language as them. You know, they're talking about these kind of commercial dumpsters versus roll-off dumpsters and this. And I was just blown away about how much of an idiot I was at that dinner. And, you know, you kind of fake it till you make it. And I think, you know, a few months later now, we kind of know what we're talking about. So it's way more comfortable. But, um, you know, if there's one lesson that searchers learn quickly, it's you feel like an idiot every single day sometimes <laughs> trying to learn these industries you've never heard of. And uh, you know what? That's the adventure of it all. So we've had fun. If you could teach a, a class in college about literally any topic you wanted to, what would you teach and why would you teach it? I would have said accounting because it's, uh, you know, I'm an accounting dork like that. And, and I think it's just unbelievably helpful. You know, I think the answer is probably, you know, my dad studied philosophy. I'm not old, but the older I get, I feel like the way you approach the world, the philosophy you carry around, uh, it impacts the way you think and the way you see everything. I think that would be my answer. You know, most 18 year olds don't know what philosophy is and tend not to care. So I think maybe my practical answer would be, you know, I think habits are a huge thing. So I'd love to teach a, a class on how to acquire good habits and to lose bad habits. And, you know, to me, that would be enormously helpful. What kind of habits in particular? You know, I think it's just the, the way you go about your day. You know, learning that sometimes the lifestyles you build in college and right after college are, you know, not exactly conducive to the life you have in your 30s, which usually means, you know, a wife or a husband and and a kid or two or three kids, a, you know, stressful job, a house and bills and friends and, you know, some semblance of hobbies. So I think, you know, to me, habits means, you know, how do you structure your day to make sure you sort of do all the things you need to do? And how do you say no to distractions? You know, how do you make sure you get time to do your hobbies? You know, for me, that's golf and gym. Well, with all that other crap in my life, there's not a whole lot of time. So I think habits around how to structure your day and time management, say no to things that don't matter and yes to the things that do. Is there a belief you had early in your business career, not even necessarily with pursuant, but just early that you had and you believed it really strongly that you've since changed your mind on or loosened up on? I used to be that you know, young, brash kid who thought experience didn't matter. <laughs> you know, I was just thought about my bosses or professors. Well, why can't you do that better? Or, you know, why this way? And kind of always second guessing and, and not having an appreciation for experience. Well, I think all you ever have to do is go through a year and a half long search fund process. And holy cow, experience matters a ton. You know, after kind of doing this for a year and a half now, it is incredible how much actually doing the work, actually, you know, diving in and taking the risk and getting your hands dirty, that experience matters. So now, you know, my brother and I laugh all the time, like experience is everything. You can read all the books you want. You can listen to all the podcasts you want. 
but you only learn the good lessons by, you know, making your own mistakes and screwing up. Are there a few mistakes you feel that you really only could have learned by doing them and even listening to a podcast or interview and hearing the mistake still wouldn't have really ingrained in your mind that idea? Search is just way more time consuming and harder than it looks. You know, you can read those search fund Bibles all you want. And man, they make it sound clean and easy and straightforward. And then, you know, you see your first 10 deals and you haven't seen an ounce of recurring revenue yet. Or, you know, you make your third offer and every time the owner has told you to, you know, screw off when you ask for a 30% seller note, things like that, right? I mean, there's so much art that goes into these things that only experience can teach you how to get through. What's the best business you've come across? I was going through it the other day. We've probably seen something like five to 7,000 deals, companies. And I mean, there are just, there's something around service businesses. I'll put SaaS aside because I think that space is super competitive and that's just not our, our wheelhouse. I think if it was, I would, that would be my answer. Um, Alpha Dumpsters is a fantastic business. So I, I think that's why we were so patient in trying to find the right one is because it's worth the wait. But, you know, Alpha Dumpsters, there is no CapEx requirement. We don't, we don't own any hard assets. 99% of businesses get paid by their customers 30 or 60 days after they're invoiced. Our customers prepay us. So we actually have sort of like a, a positive cash flow in a way that an insurance company does. And in order to scale, we just have to be really good at the internet. And, you know, the internet is a master scale tool. So, you know, those are all the kind of things that make this business phenomenal. Now, don't get me wrong, it's, it's hard to run these businesses every day and we're constantly in the weeds. But honestly, after you know a year and a half, two years now, Alpha Dumpsters is one of the best businesses we've seen. And I think uh, we're just thankful to be owners. Thanks, Sam, for your time. I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm really glad we got to do this. Yeah, me too. Glad we could do it. Hopefully we'll meet up at a conference soon, all right? Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. For show notes and more information, please visit our website at thinklikeowners.com. 